worship. We'll take your Bibles. Turn with me to John chapter 1. We're walking through the Gospel of John. Really encouraged by what God is teaching us and what he is going to teach us. I'm very hopeful, encouraged um, by where the Gospel of John is taking us. As I was studying this text this morning, I was reminded of uh, a book that our staff is reading right now. Uh, We are reading a book and discussing it in staff meeting once a week. And it's a leadership book. And one of the things that this book does, a Christian book, it, it, it talks about facing your shadows. Your shadows are really your sins or your insecurities, or your emotions, or your motives, or your thoughts. It's not just sin, but it could be, but it, it's just all of the internal stuff. It's, it's the hidden you, but it's the hidden you that shapes your seen you. They shape your behaviors. It's the you that people don't really see, but they certainly see the effects of it. So when your insecurities or the things that irritate you or make you angry or all of your tendencies, when all of those things come out of you, it's coming from someplace deeper. That's the hidden you. That's what this book calls the shadow. And it was my idea for us to read this book together. And as we started, I realized that this is a really good book to read alone and a terrible book to read in a room filled with people that know you better than you know yourself and are just ready to pour out all of your shadows and say, well, I'll tell you your insecurities. So it's been a little uncomfortable, but it's helpful. But there was a line in this book that really struck me when I thought about our text for today. It says this, you cannot change what you were unaware of. You cannot change what you were unaware of. So if you are unaware of what is inside of you, it's impossible to change what is happening outside of you. We cannot just change the fruit. We need to change the root. But if we're not aware of what's going on in there, we'll never be able to change. It's so true of our inner life. And it just reminded me that the vast majority of people in this world are walking around completely unaware of what's really inside of them. They don't know what's inside of them. And they know they need to change and they want to change. And there's things about their life they hate. There's things about their life that might disgust them. And they try so many different things that they can do to change themselves and make them a better person but they do not know what's really inside of them. And because of that, they fail to realize that what is in them is so bad, they don't just need help, they need a miracle. We don't just need help. If we know what's truly inside of us, we need a miracle. The Bible begins by telling us that in the beginning, there was nothing but darkness and void. Nothing but darkness and void hovering over the earth. And then in a moment with just a word, God spoke. And with that word and that moment when God spoke, the darkness and void was turned into life and light. Because God spoke, the miraculous power of God is the way in which the Bible begins in the beginning. God took the darkness and void and he changed the nothingness into something incredible. He took the nothingness and turned it into abundance. He took the darkness and turned the light on. He took the death and he brought in life. The void that was experienced all over the world in a moment was changed. Why? Because God spoke. And it wasn't just external life and external light, not just biological, but the reality was that life and light began to shine in the heart of Adam and Eve. And they were alive, fully alive. They experienced the fullness of life with no sin, perfect in their relationship with God. There was no sin. There was no shame. There was no anger or resentment or disgust. There were no marital problems. There was no anger or frustration with children. They were fully alive with God. And then sin. 
And when sin entered into the picture, the darkness and the void came back. Not externally, but internally. At the moment in which Adam and Eve sinned, the darkness and the void came back into their hearts. And although the sun continued to shine and they continued to physically breathe, there was a new darkness that was in their heart. Uh, There was a new void that was in their heart. Why? Because they had lost the life of God. They had lost the presence of God. They had lost the light and the ability to see God and know God. And the result was they then walked in shame and disgust and anger and all of that things, all of those things came inside of them. And the truth is, is that every human being since is born the same way. We are all born with darkness and void inside of our hearts. There's darkness and void inside of us. We're born darkened. Our darkened hearts cannot see God. We cannot know God. We are lifeless spiritually. Just because we have physical life does not mean we have spiritual life. The testimony of the Bible over and over is telling us that our hearts are darkened and our lives and our hearts and our souls are dead. The truth is, That we need God to do in our hearts what he did in creation. We need the God who spoke life and light out of darkness and void to now speak into our hearts and to bring that same life and light into our hearts. We don't just need help. We don't just need change. We need a miracle of God. That's exactly why John begins this way. John also begins in the beginning. His desire is that we might hear the good news of Jesus Christ, that we might believe and by believing have life John writes this book, John the Apostle, so that you might have life in Jesus, so that you might go from darkness and void to abundant life and light. And so he starts in the beginning. Look what he says in our text from last week in John 1, 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It is using that word idea there to speak to Jesus. Jesus was in the beginning. He was the second person of the Trinity. He was God. He was with God. And in the beginning, the word, the ultimate communication of God is the one who was creating all things. He was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. And in him and Jesus was life and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And the reason that John begins with creation and talks to us about the miracle that God did at the moment he said, let there be light and let there be life is because John, who wants us to have life, knows that if we don't see that Jesus is the only one that can give it to us, then we'll never get it. And he wants us to see that the same miracle that was needed to speak into the darkness and the void is the exact same miracle that every single human being needs today. He wants us to understand that there's life to be had if Jesus will give it to us. And he's the only one that can do it. The question he wants to answer in the next text is this. Well, how does that happen? <laughs> how does that happen? I mean, in creation, God spoke and it happened. But it doesn't seem that it happens that simply today. How is it that the death inside of us turns to life? How is it that the darkness turns to light? How is it that 2 Corinthians 5.17 actually happens that God makes us into a new creation? And the old has passed away and the new has come. If we don't just need help and self-improvement, if we actually need a miracle, how does God do that? Well, that's exactly what the text for this morning tells us. It's the way in which God turns the light on. It's the way in which God brings light, breathes life into our soul. It starts in verse 6. Let me read it. There was a man and he was sent from God. His name was John. This is not the John that's writing this book. That's John the Apostle. This is John the Baptist. 
He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. Verse 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The question is, how does God work a miracle inside of us? How is it that God recreates us? How is it that God turns the the darkness and the void in every heart into life and light, take us from nothing to abundance? Well, the answer is in our text. The first way he does it is this. A messenger must be sent. Get that down. A messenger must be sent. This is a really abrupt transition from verse 5 to 6. So abrupt that many more liberal old scholars might say that verses 6, 7, and 8 don't belong here. And the reason they say that is because verses 1 through 5 have us in the heavenly places. These are some of the most glorious verses in all of scripture. And we're seeing the glory of the ever existing Christ who before all things was there and who by the power of his word spoke all things into existence. He is light and he is life. He has eternally existed. He was with God the Father and the Son, but he is God because he's God the Son. And all of a sudden we just have this glorious truth and our mind really are just captured by the glory of of Jesus Christ. And then it happens in verse 14. In verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. So so we're back to the glory of of Jesus Christ. And then in verse 19, he talks about John the Baptist, which seems like a perfect place to start talking about John the Baptist, but he doesn't. Right in the middle of all this glorious heavenly truth, it feels as if heaven comes crashing down to earth in a very abrupt way with these words and there was a guy there was a man it's just it seems so abrupt and it just seems like if you could take this out and and put it down to the bottom it would it would seem so much better and I wrestled with it this week but I knew that the inspiration of the Holy Spirit doesn't make a mistake when it's putting the Bible together I knew it had to be here for a reason and all of a sudden I discovered what the reason is is because it is to be abrupt. We are to feel as we read this text and look at this text that heaven is coming crashing down to earth, that we went from the glory of Jesus Christ like this meteor that is coming as fast as it can and just crashing on earth all of a sudden to the story about a guy because what John is doing is he is not writing just so that our minds will be taken to the glories of Christ. He is writing so that that glory might invade our hearts. And so the reason it feels abrupt as if heaven is coming down to earth is because John wants us to know heaven is coming down to earth. And the glorious God that created the heavens and the earth is now coming in human human flesh and he wants to invade this earth by coming into your heart with all of that glory and all of that light and all of that life. And the way in which God begins to do that is he sends a witness just like he did here with John. That is the only way that the light and the life comes to us. Is that God begins to send a witness that shines the light. 
That's exactly how people see the light. That's why seven times in this text, the word light is used. The light shines in the darkness. And he's a witness about the light. He's not the light, but he bears witness about the light who gives light to everyone. So God who longs for us to know what it's like to have the light shining in our dark hearts and the life of God in our dead hearts sends a messenger. And it really is interesting, and this is very intentional, that you have this glorious truth about Jesus who is high and exalted and, and wonderful and mighty. And really, the way you would read this in the Greek, because it really does say it's like, and then there's just this guy. There's just, there's just this man. Now, Matthew eleven eleven, Jesus says that John is the greatest man that ever lived, John the Baptist. He said, there has never been a man born of a woman who's better than, than John the Baptist. John is a great man, but here's the deal. He's still just a man. And compared to Jesus Christ, he's just a guy. He's just another guy. He's just one of us. But what's significant about him is what God had called him to do. Look, look at what it says. Let's walk through this. It says, first of all, John is a man who was sent. He was sent. There was a man sent. That word sent there means to be entrusted with something, to be charged with something, to be commissioned with a message or a task. And so John arrived on this earth having been entrusted with something, have been called into something, have been commissioned with some kind of mission from God. He was sent for a purpose. He didn't just show up, he was sent. And it goes on to say he was a man sent from God, meaning this was God's idea. See, it wasn't just that John had a mission, it was that God had a mission and he needed someone to fulfill the mission. And so the mission is not coming out of John's heart, that John just loves people and he wants to be a part of the mission. It's coming after God's heart. And so when you see that John was a man sent by God, you have to look at the heart of God and realize that God wants heaven to invade earth. He wants you to know the life. He wants you to know the light. How do we know that? Because he sent a man. He sends someone. And God longs for you to know the fullness of everything he has for you. But someone's got to tell you that there was a man sent from the heart of God, revealing his heart. And it says that he's not just a man who is sent and he's sent from God, but he's sent to bear witness. You see that three times it mentions that word. There was a man that has come as a witness to bear witness about the light. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. What that means is this. John had seen the light. It had been revealed to him. God had revealed to John the truth about Jesus Christ. And he came into a world when no one else understood it and no one else had seen it. And so John's mission was to take the truth of the light of the glory of Christ. To say that Jesus is the life and Jesus is the light. This carpenter's son has come and he's not what you think he is. He's not just a man. He's something more than that. And John knew that and the one who knew that is the one who was sent to communicate that. He was a man sent from God to bear witness and look at his goal. It says his goal in verse 7 was that all might believe through him. Now this specifically encourages me as a preacher. Uh, but it should encourage you as well. It should motivate us that John's mission was not just to lay out the truth. John's vision was not just to preach. John didn't come here saying I just want to be faithful. That wasn't it. John wanted people to believe. John wanted his message to have an effect. My father, who's a preacher, used to say the difference between preaching and teaching is when you preach, you're calling for a verdict. You're asking people to do something. You're using the word of God to say God is demanding a response here. John was not preaching because God called him to communicate the message, and I just wanted to get out there. John wanted everyone who heard him to have life, to believe. 
And John the Apostle, who's writing this book, is writing for the same reason. He's not just writing so we might know the truth about Jesus. He wants us to believe and have life. And so the whole mission of John was to come and preach and to plead with you to listen, to plead with you to look to Jesus, to plead with you to understand that Jesus is more than you think he is. He was a witness who had come to bear witness about what he had seen. And the heart of God is that every single person experience the recreation that only God can give. Please hear me say that this morning. The heart of God is that every one of you have his light shine in your heart and his life put in your dead soul. God's longing and desire is that all of you would know that. How do we know that? Because he sent a man and he sent a witness. And the truth is, is this is the way in which God has chosen to spread the word. I don't know why he chose to do it this way. Wouldn't it be better if, if God's chosen method was just gospel tracks? Wouldn't that be great? So much easier. And all he had to do is just lay a track somewhere. Wouldn't that be great if God said, I, I've sent a tract, but he never sent a track. He, he sent a person. And if you read through the story of John, what you will find is that the story follows the witnesses. It's the way that Andrew got his brother Peter to follow Jesus. It's the way Philip got Nathaniel to follow Jesus. It's how they all of Samaria came to know Jesus. Why? Because one woman who met Jesus went back and gave testimony. It's the way in which so many believed by Lazarus' resurrection. Why? Because his sister Mary just started talking about what God had done. The way in which the word spread is through a witness. I keep having this vision of, of the candlelight service on Christmas Eve when there's one candle here and then I light it there and I light it there and then all of a sudden it gets there and there and there and there and there and then it goes down the rows and all of a sudden the entire room is filled with light. Why? Because there was one person who had the light and gave it to someone else, else and another person gave it to someone else because that's the way in which the word spreads. That's a picture of the spreading of the light. Those who have it are called to bear witness to it. That's exactly what we have here. There was a man, but he was sent with an incredible purpose and his purpose is to bear witness. And the way in which God has always designed for the light and the life to spread is through those who have seen it and know it and experienced it. This is exactly why Romans 10 says this. The only way people can believe is if they hear and the only way they can hear is if someone preaches and the only way someone preaches is if they're sent. Now think about that and work backwards with John the Baptist. John the Baptist was sent. He was sent to preach that they might hear, that they might believe. And this is the way it still works. That everyone who has believed is now sent. How do I know that? Because John 20, 21, Jesus says, as the Father sent me, so I send you. So God the Father sent John the Baptist. God the Father sent Jesus. And now Jesus says, if you have come to me, you are also a sent one. So in many ways, our story should begin, there was a guy who was sent. There was a lady who was sent. That's our story. Because this is the way in which God has always intended to work, that someone is sent. And is it true that John was just a man? Yes, but you're just a man and, and you're just a woman. And the significance is not just that you're a man or you're a woman, but you're someone whose life has been changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as a result, you are one who walks out of here today sent. I say this to you all the time, and I, I still don't understand why it is. We walk around thinking no one wants to hear the gospel from us. That no one will be interested, and no one will care, and they'll be angry if we share it. But at some point, someone shared the gospel with you, and you wanted it. And it changed your life, and it started to change your marriage, and it's changed your children, and it's changed the way you think, and it's changed the way you deal with everything in your life. The gospel transformed you, and we walk around thinking no one wants to hear. Let me tell you something. The God that was working on you before somebody shared with you is the God that's working on those you pass by before you share with them. 
And so you just go. Why? Because you're sent. And because the way in which God makes new creations, that miraculous work of God is by some messenger being sent. There's another way. Not only does God bring recreation by a messenger being sent, he brings recreation by a message being believed. (laughs) That messenger brings a message, and if someone's going to be saved, a message is going to have to be believed. Now, verse 9 reminds us that John understands he's the moon and Jesus is the sun, S-U-N. So Jesus is the true light, the source of all light. He exists as the moon to simply reflect the light and bear witness to the light. And so it says Jesus, the true light, let's don't get confused. John is not the true light, nor are we the true light. We're just a reflection of the light. Jesus, the true life, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Now, it's important you understand what that phrase means, gives light to everyone. It is pointing us back to verses 1 through 5 in the act of creation. That in the first creation, God gave light to everyone. Everyone has light. Why? Because Jesus gave it to us. So the God who created the world, the God who spoke life into existence, this is what it's saying, the God who turned on the physical lights, who put the sun and the stars in their place, is the same God who is coming to the world in which he made. It says the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And so now it's wanting us to picture this creating God, the God who spoke the world into existence. It wants us to have that in our mind. This incredibly powerful God is now coming to the world in flesh. And we'll talk more about that next week in verse 14. And all of a sudden it transitions us to one of the saddest verses in all of scripture. So here's the God that created light. And the only reason people are believing, I mean, are living physically is because Jesus gave them life. And the only reason they're, they're physically breathing is because Jesus gave them breath. Like all of this is just because Jesus, he's the one that gave light and life to everyone physically. And so he comes to earth and look at what it says happens in verse 10. He was in the world. It emphasizes this again. Don't forget, this is the world that he made. All of it he made. It's all his. It belongs to him. It's from him. We sing that today. All things are from you and all things are to you. Yet the world did not know him. Jesus walked through the earth to all of those who created and they, they didn't notice him. He was unknown. He was overlooked. He was ignored and he was unseen. So here's the one that gave us everything and we walk right by him and you know what we seem like? We see he's just a man or he's just another man, but he's not just another man. Verses one through five, he's the creator and sustainer of all of the universe. And the only reason you exist on this universe is because he spoke you into existence and they did not notice him and they did not see him. What it means is that the eyes that he had made did not see him. The ears that he made did not listen to him. The feet that he made did not follow him. The hands that he made did not serve him and the knees that he made did not bow to him. But they did not know him. But it's worse than that. Look at the next verse. It wasn't just that the world that was made through him did not know him, but then he came to his own. To his own people, it emphasizes. And they did not receive him. Now, in a creative sense, everyone is God's. God is owning all of us because he created us. But this is not talking about that. This is talking about the people of Israel. Those from whom Jesus came. 
Those from whom God had called and created for his glory. Those who he established in Genesis chapter 12 with Abraham and said, Abraham, through your line, I'm going to bless the whole world. You see, God has always had a people and God's always had a plan. And God's plan has always been that he would take this nation of people and he would pour out his mercy and his grace upon him. And they would fail him a thousand times over, but he would remain faithful. And he would give his covenant love to them, his special love to them. And he would deliver them from Egypt. And he would sustain them with his presence in the wilderness. And he would give them an abundance in the promised land. Why? for one reason because God chose a people that all of his glory might be shining on them that it might shine to the nations God's desire was through this people this special people of God that the light would then shine and so what it says is his own people the the lineage of Jesus himself from the line of Abraham the line of David from his own people he came Those who had been created for this purpose, who had received the constant steadfast love of the Lord, who had been sustained every minute for a beautiful purpose. Those who had been waiting generation after generation for a king, once he came, they rejected him. It doesn't just say that they didn't know him. He says he came into the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him, but his own people did not receive him. They saw him and specifically decided they would reject him. It is an unbelievable thought that God has come to the people that he's created and even to his own people that he specifically created for a specific purpose. And yet they looked right at him and completely rejected him. But in the midst of all of that darkness, there is some beauty that comes in verse 12 because there were some who believed, because there's always a remnant. There are some who believed and look at verse 12, but... It says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That word receive and believe mean the same thing. To those who received him, to those who believed in his name, what it means is simply this. Listen carefully. This is very important. To receive and believe means to see him for who he is and give him what he deserves. See, this is what they did not do. They did not see him for what he is. They just saw him as a man. Well, he's not a man. He's the creator and sustainer of the universe. He is the savior that God sent and the savior that you need. And they did not see him, nor in seeing him did they give him what he deserves. And what does he deserve? Everything, all of our life. And so Jesus says to the disciples, follow me. And they say, okay, I'll give you everything. I've left father and mother for you. Why? Because we see who he is. And if he is who he is, then he deserves everything we've got. That's what it means to receive him. What it means, listen, what it means to do is to, is to understand that your soul is dark and dead. That you were born with a dead and dark soul and there is no amount of good works you can ever do to bring the light. You can never wake yourself up. A dead person cannot raise themselves from the dead and you can't either. And you understand that I need something that I don't have. I can't just be better. I need a miracle in my life. And you look to Jesus, the one who lived the life that you were supposed to live but couldn't. And you see him sacrificed on a cross, taking upon himself all of our sin and all of our darkness and all of our death and all of the shame. Why? So that we can receive the light and the life that was in him. What it means to receive him is to to welcome him in. I love this idea to say, Lord, you're welcome in my life. You're welcome in my marriage. You're welcome in my finances. You're welcome in my sexuality. You're welcome in every area of my life. God, I'm welcoming you in. That's exactly what they did not do. They did not welcome him in. And it's not just saying, Jesus, I welcome you in my spiritual life, but not in my money or my marriage. No, you welcome Jesus. Jesus, I'm I'm opening up. I'm welcoming you to come in. And what it says is this. Is that yes, Jesus' family rejected him. But Jesus was creating a new family. 
that's not from some lineage of Abraham. It doesn't come from the blood of Abraham. It comes from the blood of Jesus Christ. He's creating a new family because look at what it says to all who received him and welcomed him, who believed in his name. He gave the right to become children of God. He is bringing people into his family. It is not simply a new creation. It is a new birth. So what happens in our hearts is God creates something new. God also brings a new birth. And out of that new birth, we're made into the family of God. This beautiful new family we sing about from every nation and every tongue and every tribe. One of the beauties of a church is that what you have in the church is people that have one thing in common, Jesus Christ. Like we may differ in every way, but we can still fellowship and leave. we love one another and we work together. Why? Because we've been born of Jesus and we're part of the family of God. And what it says is everyone who receives him, everyone who welcomes him in, which you must do, if you welcome him into your life, what happens is God gives you the right to become a child of God. You welcome him, you trust him, you follow him, and you're brought into the family. You're a new creation, a new birth. Something new has started in you, something you never had before, which something only God can do. And that leads us to the last thing. A messenger must be sent. It's essential for someone to go and to share. A message must be believed. At some point, you have to make the decision. I'm gonna welcome Jesus into my life. But the final thing is this. If anyone is going to be made a new creation, a miracle must be done. Get that down. A miracle must be done. I think we could all agree that you do not have the power to do what Jesus did in creation. Can we agree on that? That you do not have the ability to speak things into existence. Can we agree? That you don't have that power to say, let there be light, and all of a sudden the lights come on. Unless you have a clapper. Like, you just can't do that. You don't. None of us have the ability to speak things into existence. So we look at creation, and we recognize only God can do that. That's a supernatural work of God. He spoke, and the world existed. There is a power that we don't have. There is something only God can do. And let me ask you this. If we do not have the power and ability to do that in creation, what makes us think we have the power and ability to do it in the new creation? So God was creating something in, in Genesis 1. He was speaking something into existence, and that's a miracle. Only God can do it. But we are just as dead and just as dark as the world was in Genesis 1. It's now invading our hearts. So what makes us think that I have the power and the ability to speak that new creation in my life? Listen to me. Salvation is just as much of a miracle as creation. It's just as much of a miracle. If you're saved, it's because there's a miracle of God that took place in your life. You say, I, I just wish I could see more miracles. If you're saved, you've seen the miracle of all miracles. Because inside of you, you are just as dead as Lazarus was physically. And do you think Lazarus had the ability to say, I think I'd like to get up now. Nor do you have the ability to say, I sure would like to have life now. The only reason that exists is because the word of God spoke over Lazarus and raised him from the dead. And in that same way, the word of God speaks over you and what was dead inside of you comes to life. And the reason I know that is because look at what it says. Verse 13, we were born, we were born again. John 3, this miracle of regeneration where what was dead becomes alive. It is not enough to have a physical birth. You must have a spiritual birth. Do you realize this? You can be physically born and walking around with biological life every single day. You're just walking, you're doing your thing, but dead inside with no connection to God. And what happens in this act of regeneration, John 3, being born again, is that God takes that which is dead and brings it to life. And when that happens, it says, this is not 
of blood. What does that mean? It's not because you came from Abraham. And it's not the will of the flesh or the will of man. It's not because you decided it. It's not because you had an idea. But look what it is. It's the will of God. And the reason this is here is because John will say it over and over and over and over again. That the flesh can give birth to the flesh, but the spirit alone can give birth to the spirit. And if you want a spiritual life, the miracle working God must put it in you. What that means is you need a miracle of God's spirit to breathe life into your dead body. You need a miracle of God's spirit to bring light into darkness. You need a miracle of God's spirit to be born again and alive with God. Listen to this. You know the reason John begins his gospel within the beginning? Because he needs to make sure that you understand that your only hope is for the same power that created the world to create something in you. And you know how that happens? You know that power is unleashed, Romans 1.16. The gospel is the power of God under salvation to all who believe. So the way in which that miracle working power happens is a messenger is sent and he preaches the gospel. And all of a sudden you start to come alive and you can't understand how it happened. And you say, well, maybe it was the messenger, or maybe I believe. Well, yes, it was. A messenger was sent, and the gospel was preached, and you believed it, but all the while, a miracle was being done. And the reason you got saved is because God did a miracle. And God is doing miracles today. The reason that we're here is because we believe in a miracle-working God, and the greatest miracle he can do is one that you can receive this morning. How do you know? Because God longs for all of you to receive it. To receive the miracle of God breathing life into you. Listen, this morning a messenger has been sent to you. A message has been delivered. Your responsibility is to believe it. And as you believe it, you will experience the supernatural miracle of the Spirit of God to wake you up and bring you to life. And then moment by moment, day by day, that life turns into fullness of life where you get to a point that there is nothing you treasure any more in life than Jesus Christ. And so what do we do? Well, we go. Listen to me, we walk out of this room and we go, why? Because a messenger has to be sent. Please hear that. Nobody gets saved without a messenger. And that's us, that's us. So we go and we tell somebody. And not only do we go, but we speak. We speak the life and the truth of Jesus. And we ask people to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this morning I'm asking you to receive Jesus Christ and welcome him in. But we go out of this place and we don't just go, but we speak and we say Jesus is real and he's changed my life and we bear witness. And then finally, we worship because there is a God who has defeated death completely so that I can have life. A God who has shattered the darkness to bring life into me. And the only reason I've got anything good in my life, the only reason there's any hope for my marriage or my children or my purity is because the miracle working God brought something new into me and I don't have a hope without him. And so we worship. But the creating miracle working God is doing recreation in our heart because of all of the miracles that we need. The greatest miracle we need is the miracle of a new birth. And it's the miracle that God's doing in this place today. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.